Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So today we're celebrating, celebrating, we're honoring, in a sense there's some celebration to it, but we're, we're taking time, more time than usual, to focus on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church or Persecuted Christians, and it's either the first or the second uh, Sunday of November that uh, we're, we're given materials and encouraged to focus on praying for and supporting those who share our faith but don't share our freedoms. And you saw the slideshow go by. Maybe you missed some of what was up there. Let me just go through it again. It was, it was, it was one minute, 15 seconds, you know, a sermon bumper, as it's called. But the, the first slide talked about today uh, being the International Day of Prayer. And, and last Sunday it was as well for the persecuted church or persecuted Christians. And then it said, struck down but not destroyed. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. And then it asked the question, do you know six, uh, 360, million, 360 million Christians around the world live in places where they face persecution for their faith? These brothers and sisters in Christ share our faith, but not our freedoms. On average, last year, every day, 15 Christians were killed. Six churches were attacked. Twelve Christians were detained. All because they love and follow Jesus. Persecuted Christians inspire us with their resilience and courage. And the next slide said, let's stand in solidarity with them, showing that they are not alone in their struggle. Through prayer and support, we can bring comfort to the brokenhearted and strength to the weary. Let's be a beacon of hope and compassion for our persecuted family. Join the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And it lists the two dates. And then again, the scripture is struck down but not destroyed. So again, many years we mentioned it. This year, I saw the opportunity to spend the sermon time at least focusing on this. And there's great benefit in doing this not just because we want to feel connected to those who are paying a much higher price to be Christians than we are. You know, we, we want to we pray for them, but we also want to be fed by their example, be, be inspired by them. You know, we, we have as much to gain from them as they have from us. Pray with me if you would. Father God, in Jesus' name, we give you thanks. It's a day of prayer for persecuted Christians. And Lord, we want to join all those praying for those who are enduring some of what or all of what has been described already in, in the slideshow. And as I, as I read the content of those slides, Lord, we pray for these people. They're all over the world, all kinds of different situations. Uh, we know freedoms that they don't know. And yet they know a freedom that we don't know. So help us open our eyes and hearts and minds today and help us and change us through Scripture and through the example of those we read about in Hebrews 11, our hall of fame of faith. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So sometimes we might feel pity or sorrow for those who share our faith but not our freedoms. 
Sometimes, because we identify with people in these kinds of stories, sometimes we might feel fear. You know, sometimes people online and in other contexts attempt to stoke our fear and dread at the thought of us losing religious freedoms. And no one wants to lose such freedoms. But some voices amplify how horrible it would be if we did. Despite this, their calls to action are sometimes unclear except to subscribe to a YouTube channel or stay tuned, keep reading, keep listening, keep watching. Their calls to action are sometimes unclear, but their vision of persecution is not. Nothing would be worse. To be persecuted is to fail, some imply, not all, but some. Nothing is more pathetic or, as some online suggest, more preventable. Persecution is a result of weak leadership, they say, or something to that effect. Persecution, to some, means that there is someone to blame, someone to hit back, someone to hate. But Scripture paints a different picture of it all, a different picture of persecution. Jesus paints a different picture of persecution. Here in Matthew chapter 5, we see the first few words of the first recorded public sermon that we have as it's recorded for us in Matthew, and he talks about persecution. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next verse, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Next verse, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then later on, still in that same Sermon on the Mount, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that's, that's different and it keeps being different. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It's on a list of things that are hard to go through, but things that will not separate us from the love of Christ. Indeed, things that may make us more aware of the love of Christ and more appreciative of the love of Christ. Later on in Romans, it says clearly, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire... To live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, look at that. That stands out. How different the Bible's content is when you actually read it. Amen? Yes. Look at this verse. It doesn't even say you have to live a godly life. You just have to want to live a godly life and you will be persecuted. Whoa. So it's a challenge for us, because we have our version of history, 
our version of reality. And then God often has a different version of reality, history, and so on. And the Bible points this out in situations like this, like the example here of persecuted Christians. I, sometimes you look at it and think, well, God is more likely to feel sorrow for us than for them. Even though he, at the same time, cares more deeply than we know for any and every moment of pain or doubt that any one of them may experience on his account. Don't forget what it says in Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So, really, we can, we can turn this slide upside down or, or right side up and apply it to reality, to, to history, to the definition of persecution, you know, not just that even, not just persecution in faraway lands, but to our, our own stories of whatever we're going through and how we view whatever price we're paying or are willing to pay or not willing to pay for our faith, for Christ. And so really it's God's version of our story over or instead of our version, which means that sometimes what we might call a good day, he might not call a good day, or what we might call a bad day, he might call a gift. And this is a challenge to our emotions. It can be unsettling. Life in Christ can feel harsh sometimes. Certainly not always, but sometimes. Because human beings are feeble and frightened and fragile, despite our best attempts to be otherwise. The strongest of us will be gone in 100 years, in under 100 years. Even if we completely cut sugar out of our diet, even if we drink a whole bottle of apple cider vinegar every day. Yum. Even if we are special forces, black ops, end times prepped, fully conspiracy aware, poet warriors, we'll be dead in under 100 years, maybe under 50, 20, 5, 10. And even our story about that, about our end down here, is different in God's eyes than in ours. In Psalm 116, verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He is the one, after all, who inspired Paul to write that we're struck down but not destroyed. And he knows that we need encouragement because we often think the two are the same. We're struck down and destroyed. No. To be persecuted is to be punished. No. Well, we did something wrong. No, we did something right. That's why we face persecution if we face persecution, according to Scripture. We did something right. So we need encouragement. And I'm turning to Hebrews chapter 11. And really just after, let's start with just after Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 12, what I call the, the Bible's ultimate version of keep on keeping on. Okay, and here it is in the ESV version of the Bible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. 
I memorized it in a different version years ago. Let's see. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not go weary and lose heart. Amen? And I like that one. I like that one because it says, I like that one because that's what I'm used to, but it says at the end that we won't lose heart. And I need to be reminded of that. And we, we spoke about that this summer. And many of you commented as I changed the preaching schedule around just to talk about losing heart for the summer. A lot of you were right there with me. We needed to hear that word. And so we are called by God not to lose heart. He's going to give us what we need not to lose heart, even in the face of the worst that persecution can cause to happen in our lives, the worst that life can bring. So each of these versions begins with a therefore. So what's the therefore, therefore, right? Well, the answer to this is all of Hebrews prior but especially Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith. And we're going to spend time focusing on the last verses of Hebrew 11, but let's look at the whole thing. So it starts, Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 11, it starts with that famous verse, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And really, what the author of Hebrews does, and we don't know who this is exactly, there's different theories about who wrote Hebrews, but what he does is he lists pretty quickly different heroes of faith from the Old Testament. And so he starts with Abel in verse 4, and then Enoch in verse 5. Verse 6 is a famous verse worth reading. They're all worth reading, but verse 6 is famous because it talks about faith again. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Then he talks about Noah and Abraham, verses 13 through 16, very inspired. I love 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So he's talking about all these people throughout the Old Testament who went through what they went through, but they had faith. God had given them the gift of faith and because of that faith, the outcomes were different. And these aren't people, by the way, who had clean records. A lot of them, we can read in Scripture, made mistakes, big mistakes. Uh, they, 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 their records are spotty. And the Bible always points that out to us. And it's important to pay attention to that because we sometimes will lift up these different people that we read about in the Bible and think they're so different from us. But the Bible goes to great pains to show that they're no different from us, that they are fallible and, and, and fallen and in need of a Savior. They need a Savior, and they have one in Christ. No matter what time frame they live in, no matter if they're written about in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. So in verse 17, talks about Abraham more and Isaac and Jacob and Esau, Joseph then, and then Moses in verse 23, talking about by faith Moses did this, by faith Moses did that, ending in verse 31, talking about Rahab. And by the way, it's not just Rahab, it's listed here, Rahab the prostitute. And you'll think, well, that, no, that's what she used to be. 
So let's clean that up and just call her Rahab now. She's a new person. Yes, she is a new person, but Rahab the prostitute, that's her testimony. That's her testimony of what God rescued her from. Amen? And we all have that. He's rescued us from something. He's redeemed us from something. And then we land on verse 32. Let's take a closer look at these verses at the end. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. More people here who don't have clean records, by the way. And believers are still going through this type of thing, demonstrating this kind of faith in different contexts, in different ways, but it's the same God giving the same faith and the same glorious outcome in their lives. Uh, it goes deeper now in the following verses. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. He's just recounting things. You wonder what he's looking at, the author, here when, he, when he's listing these things. So some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Notice how now those that seem to be most admired in this chapter are unnamed. We don't even know their names. And that's something to think about because right now uh, there are people, maybe we know some names, where believers are, are going through situations, uh, facing persecution of one kind or another. And, you know, I don't know how they get these numbers, how many people were killed, but likely the numbers have gone up, and likely these are the numbers we can confirm. But what about those that no, one, no one's seen except God? And they stood for their faith and, and paid a price for it, maybe the ultimate price for it. Now, we don't know their names and their stories aren't written about online or in any newspaper. Gone. And yet you see that God holds them in, in this highest of esteem. Oh, these are, these are my children who've, who've, who've overcome even death by faith. So the thought continues, verse 37 talks about those destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens, caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And so it's talking about all those in the Old Testament who are saved by the same Jesus Christ. You know, the, the same inspiration for the New Testament heroes of faith is the inspiration for the Old Testament heroes of faith. It's Jesus. Jesus for all time. Don't miss this. 
In fact, back a few verses in Hebrews, it says this. Back in verse 24, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ. So this is Moses in the Old Testament considering the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And that's the inspiration of all those who endure what they endure in the name of Jesus. They're looking forward to a greater treasure. And it's hard for us. That's why I don't think there is an international day of prayer for the pampered church, you know. But I know that there are missionaries and friends of mine from areas where Christians are persecuted and they look at us, they look at me and say, I don't know how you do it. How is there, how do you pastor such people? How are you a Christian in such a context? You have so much, distracted by so much. I remember a missionary talking about his first experience here in America and being in one of our supermarkets, so much larger than any market he had ever experienced in his life. And he's going through aisle by aisle and he finally gets to the aisle with the toilet paper and he breaks down in tears. He says, why, why so much? Why so much? And maybe that whole long aisle of, 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 of toilet paper seems like too much to him. And Well, maybe it's not a big deal that it's too much. The, the big deal is that we make too much out of it being too much. Or maybe we make too much of a big deal out of what others see as too much not being enough. There should be two aisles. I want more variety, you know? It's what it does to our souls, our spirits. I was reminded last night, brother came up and says, you know, in China, they pray for the American church to face persecution so that we could have uh, tested faith, that we could have the real experience of being believers because they can't imagine that we, in this culture, in this context, could possibly approach having a real experience of being Christians compared to what they know. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. They, they have things to tell us. They, they're praying for us as well as we pray for them. And all of us are under the same word, the same scriptures, all kinds of different languages these scriptures are in, but the same scriptures that show us what faith does inside someone. By faith, we will choose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy whatever the alternatives are, whatever the world would offer instead. And this points to our own God story. I think the benefit in focusing on those in the persecuted world, the persecuted church, uh, well, first of all, we, we want to know how they're doing. We want to know uh, how they're getting through. How's it working? How are they being successful in this? Because there's some tastes of persecution that some of us have had. Many of us, the closest to it, may have been our family's reaction to our faith. 
or the reaction of close friends to faith when we came to faith. And, and maybe if you grew up in the church, you didn't have that experience, but many of us didn't grow up in the church. And then when we came to faith, well, the family had different reactions, different members of the family accepted us, but others rejected. And so that, that would be the first little taste of what, there's a division, like me, me coming to Christ now has separated me from people. I remember having that experience myself with certain family members. And the irony is that the minute I said I was going to go to seminary and become a pastor, well, they were fine with it. Oh, we get it. You're gonna, it'll be a job. <laughs> yep. And then when I became a chaplain, even more so. Oh, a cool job. All right. Yeah. That's why your testimony is so much more powerful than mine. That's why you're the one. In your context, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, in your school, who stands for Christ. And some have had an experience there at work lately where they've faced the taste of persecution because compromise has been demanded. Hmm. One of the great joys of being a chaplain is that I stand with people who they have Christian convictions about something and it goes against, uh, it goes against the future for them. It goes against uh, their career making forward progress and they have to make a choice. And I've been able to help some people with that. And sometimes what their issue is, I may not see it the way they do, but I know that they have this conviction because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because of their faith in God, and they don't want to abandon that. And to stand next to that, oh, that's something. It really is. It's an honor. It really is. And I've had to do it more lately than before. So there's, there's a little bit of uptick in our part of the world, but again, it's nothing compared to people who come to faith and they lose their entire family, they, they lose their entire uh, means of earning a living, you know, they're, they're rejected, it's against the law what they did, it's certainly against the law to talk about what happened to them, and the death penalty is on the table. But there's greater wealth. Moses sets the example. All these other heroes of faith set the example. There's Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can read about all these martyrs in the history of the church. What's interesting is there's a book of martyrs from the 20th century because there's more martyrs for Christ in the 20th century than all the other centuries past combined. And uh, the numbers are not going down. And so we want to take this to heart. We want to be encouraged and, and take it seriously at the same time. And it is encouraging because of all these verses that we've looked at that show us that if we live by faith, if we live with a faith connection to God through Jesus Christ, then whatever we go through, especially the worst that we go through, he will be there with us. 
He will help us through that. And he's rewriting the story of our lives. And that's what we want to pay attention to. We want to read his rewrite of our story. I think of what I might think are the best moments in my life. Like if I was going to make a movie of the best of me and go back and find those, those scenes, but there would be scenes where I was on top of the heap, where I was the winner of the day. You know, I would just, and if God were to make a movie, I bet none of those scenes are in his movie about my life. It'll be those times where I was most miserable and broken down and weak and had nowhere else to go, no one else to turn to but him. And those are the moments, moments I tried to avoid, <laughs> moments I wanted to, I, 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 I wanted to, to not experience. And yet in experiencing those moments, like we all do, well, I experienced his fellowship like never before. Because when, sometimes, when, when all you have left is Jesus, then you have Jesus. Like you've never had him. And he has you like he's never had you. Amen. So be encouraged by this and know if you feel pampered, if you feel like, and, and this is the problem, this is why people in persecuted lands pray for us because they see us mired down in all kinds of silly, ridiculous stuff, all this uh, superficial, shallow stuff that, that drowns the spirit, you know, that deadens the soul. And they don't have any of that. You know, so they, they know that it's, it's got to be hard to be here as well. Because here we are, kind of struggling even to focus. Focus on, on what it means to be a believer sometimes. Because we have all these other things that we're chasing. All these other things that we're doing. I, it, it's kind of like, I mentioned this uh, another sermon too, uh, like if you've got Netflix at home or you've got Amazon Prime at home or, or one of the many hundreds of other channels anymore, right? And I don't know if you've ever done this, but you can get on there, and I think a lot of us have done this. We're just, the night's entertainment in front of the screen is us going from movie to movie, not knowing which one to watch because we don't really want to watch any of them, but some of them seem almost good, but man, maybe this one, maybe that one, maybe this one, maybe that one. You ever caught yourself doing something like that for an hour or maybe you've done it online and you've just, and your mind is just, and that's, that's life in this particular context now. We have to push that back. You know, there's a, there's a love for all things analog anymore. I broke out my mom's typewriter the other day. You know what one of those are? You ever heard of that? Some of you haven't. Like, what's that? And I love the clack of it and just and having to remember to, to, to move the thing over, you know, when the bell rang. And yeah, I could feel it, you know? And I don't know when the last time I wrote a handwritten letter is, but I'm all set up to do it. And I'm planning to write you letters. I don't know when that first letter is going to come. I've been planning for a while. <laughs> but I just want to write that out, you know, just to, to 
to push aside all this distraction. I have my Bible on my smartphone and all these other apps, but sometimes I just don't, I want to be in another room. Put that thing in that room. Let me be in this room with a paper book with God's word printed on it. Oh, we're feeling that one, aren't we? Yes. Amen. Because we want to get a hold of what's real. The real thing. It's the day of prayer for persecuted Christians, the persecuted church. So maybe our, our first step towards the authentic is to stop thinking about ourselves and to think about them and what they're going through. And so I, I want to I finish with a prayer, a little prayer for the persecuted church, for persecuted Christians be uh, where we land. We're going we're gonna to pray this prayer, and then the team's going to come out and sing, Jesus paid it all. Jeff and I go back and forth on what songs, because you know, we want the songs to line up with the message, and we just couldn't figure out the song. And he says, well, there's one song that works every time. And this is, and you'd be, when, when you see this, you'll say, well, the Spirit was in that. So this prayer is, is, is written, or it's, it's, it's on a Gospel Coalition website, Trevin Wax. His, uh, his article from almost 10 years ago, and he got it from an organization called Release International. And I found it and thought, this is, I'm just going to pray these words and, and have all of us just agree in prayer uh, for uh, the, the persecuted church, for persecuted Christians. Would you, let me invite you anyway to stand. That's one of the postures of prayer in Scripture. Kneeling, standing, laying flat on your stomach. Those are different uh, postures. Not sitting in a chair. That's not, not one of them. So uh, some of us, we can't help it. We're, we're, we're in a chair, you know. But uh, with that, you put your, put your hand on your knee, you know. You know, just position yourself so that you know I'm in a position of prayer. And I'm praying for other people. Thank you, Lord. Receive this prayer. Sovereign God, we worship you. And we acknowledge that you know all of those who suffer in your name. We remember those who are imprisoned for their faith and ask that they would join with the Apostle Paul to see that even though they remain captive, their chains have furthered the gospel, not frustrated it. May they inspire and embolden their fellow believers to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. God of all comfort, for those who are tortured both in body and mind, give them the grace to endure and to see their suffering as part of following in Christ's footsteps. Merciful God, for those asked to pay the ultimate price who are martyred because of their love for you, may they truly know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Father God, for those who are widowed and orphaned, 
May they know the comfort that comes from your promised presence, even when they walk through the valley. May they be strengthened by your spirit, enabling them to rejoice with the psalmist as they proclaim that the Lord will not abandon them in death. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make us ever mindful of our brothers and sisters around the world who need us to stand with them as they suffer in your name. Teach us what it means to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We pray that we would not love our lives so much as to shrink from death. O oh Lord, hear our prayer. And Lord, we lift this prayer up to you. We pray for all persecuted Christians wherever they may be. Would you bless them? And would you show us how we are united with them in you? In your name, Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.